Would you please turn with me to your study outline? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining on us online. We are so glad you're joining us for our study of God's Word, as well as our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana, and First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. We're so glad that you are joining us as well. As we continue our series from the book of Judges, we're in our second week studying Samson. Last week, we looked at Judges chapters 13 and 14 and talked about when the weak become strong. And today we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16 and talk about when the strong become weak. Now, the last five chapters of Judges is just crazyville. So I encourage you to read it this week, uh, chapters 17 through 21. But I think it's going to be a perfect segue into Christmas. And I tell you, when you read those chapters, which are some of the weirdest chapters in the entire Bible, you're going to say, how is Glenn going to make this into something that segues to Christmas? So you're going to want to read it this week, and they're going to come next Sunday to see how we're going to use that as a perfect intro into our Christmas series as we build closer uh, to Christmas. Um, now, when we look at the story of Samson. Uh, Samson kind of reminds me of myself. Not for reasons that you think. I say, Glenn, you're delusional. Um, at the gym where I work out, there's a guy named Brett uh, Dickerson. He's a captain, fire captain. And uh, he, sit, he and his wife, Amy, they're at the uh, 1111 service. They sit right there at the 1111 service. And uh, the nickname we have for him is Hercules because he looks just like Hercules, I'm telling you. Well, the nickname for me at the gym is Squeaky. Because I've told you this before, my, my weights are so light that they squeak when they go up. You know, when Hercules lifts it, he lifts the stack and it's going, and over here is me. So he's Hercules, I'm squeaky. So, so I'm not being delusional when I say that Samson reminds me of myself. Let me tell you why Samson reminds me of myself. His greatest enemy is himself. And my greatest enemy is myself. How many of you would agree with me on yourself? You know, every morning I get up and look in the mirror at my greatest enemy. I mean, I think so many times, look at how I messed up. Oh, if I just controlled myself, if I just held my tongue, if I just not said that stupid thing. I, I've told you this before. There's a little ritual at our house on Monday morning when I'm shaving. Kimberly can hear me in there while I'm shaving going, oh, oh no, oh, oh, oh. And it's not because I'm cutting myself shaving. I'm just thinking of every dumb thing I said on Sunday, okay? Whether it's in the sermon or whether it's in one-on-one -on -one conversations, you know, just like things that sounded so clever under the inspiration of adrenaline sound so lame on, uh, 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 on Monday morning. Uh, let me give you an example. Last Sunday, met this wonderful new family at our church. Been coming to Purpose for a number of months and just a neat family, three beautiful kids. Uh, she's a nurse and he's a urologist. And I'm just making conversation, so I began to brag about how healthy my prostate is uh, to, to them. I just thought, you're talking to a urologist family, you, you know, you, you talk about that. Later on, I'm like, Glenn, Glenn, why? Why, why, why would you, you know, bring, bring that up? If I just not said that. Um, so many times you say, you know, if I just said no, or if I had just not returned that call, uh, what if I had not sent that email, <laughs> okay? What if I had not hung out with that friend on that night I got into trouble? What if I just stayed home that night? Now, Samson represents the nation, all the people of God of, of Israel. And there are tremendous parallels be, between the two. For example, both of them came about through supernatural births from an elderly couple. 
And so Israel came about when Abraham and Sarah, an elderly couple, miraculously had a child. And the same thing with Samson's parents. So they both came about uh, that that way. Uh, For both of them, uh, God found something weak and made it strong. Uh, Both were given a special law code to set them separate from other people. So for Samson, it was the Nazarite code. But for uh, the nation of Israel, it was the book of Leviticus. And by the way, if you ever read Leviticus, it is going to be equally weird to the passage you're going to read this next week in preparation for next Sunday. Just remember, what Leviticus is all about is that Israel was to be a separate nation. They were to be unique. They were to be distinct from the nations around them. And when you understand that, it helps Leviticus become a little bit more understandable. Uh, Samson was drawn to foreign women, like Israel was drawn to foreign gods. And so really, in a way, Samson's story tells us Israel's story. And if you listen carefully, it kind of tells you your story and my story as well. I encourage you, if you weren't here last Sunday, to back up and read chapters 13 and 14. And basically, you can summarize them and and say that all the trouble that Samson gets himself into is because he didn't listen to his parents' advice, okay, the wisdom of his parents. Uh, This is like a Disney movie in reverse, You know, a Disney movie, um, whether it's The Little Mermaid or whether it's Pinocchio, they reject their parents' wisdom and they let their heart decide. Now, in a Disney movie, that always works out awesome to let your heart decide. But Samson is a more realistic story. It's a story that shows you how that way of living where that usually leads. Now, this last part was just a public service announcement from the Parents' Union of Purpose Church, and so I'm just doing that on their behalf. Judges 15, verse 1. Later on, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. Now, last Sunday we talked about how they talked about tearing goats, okay? And how that must have been common back then. You get together with some friends, you tear a few goats, you know. And so this is what you did on date night back then, okay? You watch some Netflix, you pop some popcorn, you tear a few goats. And so he said, I'm going to my wife's room. Now, there are two types of marriages back then. One was where the husband and the wife lived separately from their parents, each of their parents. But there was another type, and that's what's going on here, where the wife continued to live with her parents, and the husband would just visit on occasion. But her father would not let him go in, verse 2. I was so sure that you hated her, because Samson, as we saw last week, had dumped her at the altar, had, had dropped her at the altar. Okay, so I was so sure that you hated her because you had jilted her. He said that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. What a wonderful dad he was. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, I was so sure. Okay, let's go to verse 3. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. Now, you're going to see everything he does, every supernatural feat of strength is because of a personal offense or because somebody ticks him off. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Now, this isn't one of the big miracles of the Bible, but it is one of the hardest ones to imagine. It's funny how some of the biggest ones, like the resurrection of Jesus, is the biggest miracle in the Bible. And I can envision that. I can envision a a dead person coming back to life again. I can see that. This one, I want to see the videotape of this in heaven. I I just, like, how did that work out? Now, the word fox in the original Hebrew, it can also mean jackal. 
Now, jackals travel in, in packs. They're easier to catch than foxes. But still, it's just, it's just a hard one. But it is an awesome practical joke, I'm telling you. All you college students, do this on your campus. You will be a legend, and you'll be in jail. Uh, so he caught the 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails. What? Lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. So the three major crops of the Philistines are destroyed by what he does. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. We talked about how vicious the Philistines were last Sunday. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Now, this Hebrew word viciously here literally means uh, he attacked them hip and thigh. A hip and thigh, which basically means in the Hebrew, he opened up a can of whoop on them is what that basically means there. And he slaughtered uh, many of them. He attacked them viciously, hook, hip and thigh, and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. Now, this is interesting. That little town, Edom, is two miles from the little town of uh, Bethlehem. Uh, so, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Boy, that's the story of Palestine and Israel, isn't it? For the last uh, uh, 3,100 years, doing to them what they did to us. And the only thing that's ever going to break that cycle is Jesus. And we saw that illustrated here today, right? Pastor Ashraf baptizing a Jewish person. That's the only thing that's going to break that cycle of, of due to them as, as he did for us. Okay, let's pick it up, verse 11. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are ruler over us? What have you done to us? Let's pause for just a moment. Israel has grown comfortable in their captivity. They don't want to be delivered. They're oppressed, they're persecuted, they're enslaved, but at least they have peace. And, and, and so they've grown comfortable in their captivity. Now here's an important point for followers of Christ. Our greatest threat is elimination, not by extermination, but by assimilation. Greatest threat to Christ followers is not extermination, but assimilation. You see, Satan has two different strategies. Um, sometimes Satan tries to exterminate us. And usually when he does that, it unifies us. We rally together and God saves us because we look to him because we're so beaten down. But Satan has another strategy where he makes us so comfortable in this world that we assimilate. And after a while, you can't tell any difference between us and those that are not following Jesus. So that's what was going on here in Israel. And so God is raising up a disruptor to stir up some conflict, okay? He just sent, he just sent Samson in there to kind of stir things up. You enter Samson, a hot-blooded, testosterone-ridden, impulsive meathead on roid rage. I mean, and, and here he comes. Now we pick it up, all right? Um, uh, don't you, what, what have you done to us, they said. He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Same old song. 
They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. The reason he did that was he didn't want to kill fellow Israelites when they, if they tried to kill him. Or another possibility is his power only came on him to attack the enemies of God and it would not be on him to attack the people of God. Agreed, they answered, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the, the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, like tissue paper, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Now, it's important that it be fresh because an, an old one would be brittle and would break, you know, when you tried to attack people with it. So you needed a fresh jawbone. So aren't you glad you came to church today? You learned something. If you're ever going to attack somebody, you know, and you're reaching around, there's a jawbone. Make sure it's a fresh jawbone uh, when, when you when you got it. Now, the reason why the Israelites had these weird weapons is because it's the only thing they had. Remember, the Philistines were the first one to develop iron and use weapons out of iron. So, And they would forbid, it would be outlawed to the people of Israel to have any iron weapons. So no weapons in the land. You see that later in the story of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel and, and Saul and David later on. Israelites were not allowed by the Philistines to have regular swords and spears. And so as a result, you just see them using weird weapons. Back in chapter 3, we didn't cover it because it's only one verse long. There's a guy named Shamgar, and he uses an ox goad to kill seven, 600 uh, Philistines. And that's all they had, so that's what they had to use. He grabbed it and struck down a 1,000 men. Now, how cool is that, except for the fact he's not supposed to touch anything dead. Remember, that was the Nazarite vow. Nothing from the vine, um, don't cut your hair, and, uh, and don't touch anything dead. Well, nothing more dead than a jawbone of a donkey. You know, it's been laying around uh, for a while. Then Samson does this cool, it's almost like a rap or a poem or a song here. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Now, he composes this song. It doesn't rhyme in English but it would have rhymed in Hebrew. And so you got to think of it like an Eminem rap is basically what you need to think. With the jawbone of an ass, I piled them in a mass. I took the jawbone of an ass, and I had a blast. And, and then let's go to the next one. Go to the next one. It gets even cooler. When he finished speaking, he threw the jawbone away. So he says his rap, and then he drops the jawbone. Just like drops the mic. Just drops the jawbone. How awesome is this guy? He is... A, he is a hot mess, but he is interesting. I will say that. So with the jawbone of an ass, I piled them in a mass. I took the jawbone of an ass, and I had a blast. Drops the jawbone. Okay. Now we come to one of the most famous couples in history. And let's, let's test you on some, okay? Shout out the second half to these names. I'll just do four of them. Uh, Romeo and? Great. Bonnie and? Adam and? Samson and? Yes, the Samson and Delilah, one of the most uh, infamous or famous couples in all of history. Now we come across some of the saddest verses in the Bible. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know 
that the Lord had left him. Wow, wow. Then the Philistines uh, seized him and gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Um, Samson gives us a picture of the trajectory of sin. It starts out fun. Starts out fun. Sin always starts out fun. The old country preacher once said, if you're not having fun when you're sinning, you're not doing it right. Okay? If you're not having fun when you're sinning, you're not doing it right. And it's all fun at the beginning. I mean, strength, feats of strength and beer parties and practical jokes and prostitutes. The problem is it just doesn't end that way. Uh, another old country pastor once said about this passage, sin binds, sin blinds, and sin grinds. Sin will bind us like Samson was bound. Sin will blind us like he was blinded. And sin will grind us like he begins to grind grain. But right after the saddest verse in the Bible, or one of the saddest verses, is one of the most encouraging. But the hair on his head began to grow again. Oh God, I claim this verse for my life. I claim this right now. <laughs> Any of you men want to claim this with me? You know, just, just raise your hand. Let's pray together. God said, let's claim this verse. My new favorite verse. Judges 16, verse 22. Going to have a tattooed right there. People go, what's that verse? Eh, it's just a promise. Okay. Uh, well, let's go back to it for one second. Okay. <laughs> After it had been shaved. Okay, that's enough. Go ahead, 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and our, multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. It was like a State of the Union address. Everybody was there. And they were too arrogant to have a designated survivor somewhere else. Okay? They, they had them all there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Remember his hair began to grow again? Not, nothing magical about his hair. But that was symbolic of the fact that he began to humble himself, truly humble himself before God. Sovereign Lord. Now he's got it right. Sovereign. God, I'm not sovereign. You're sovereign. Lord, I'm not Lord. You're Lord. Remember me, please, God. Strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, he still got himself mixed into it. But you know what I love about this? God still uses him. You know, I try to have perfect motives. I, I mean, I wish I just had great motives. It's always about the glory of God. It's all about the kingdom of God all the time, 100%. But, and, I, and I think we should try for that. I think we should strive for that. But we're always going to have a little bit of us mixed in there with our motivations. And that's okay. God can still work with that, and I'm so glad that he does. I'm so glad that he can still work. 
And so he cries out to God. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself uh, against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel for 20 years. Now, what do we learn from Samson's life. If Samson represents the people of God, he's symbolic of us, you and me, what can we learn from it? Number one, we are our own worst enemy. Uh, let's break down Samson's weaknesses into five components. Number one, he, he was impulsive. He was impulsive. I was reading an article the other day that said that texting while driving makes you 23 times more likely to have an accident. Texting while driving makes you more, more, 23 times more likely to have an accident, more than alcohol and marijuana uh, combined. And I think to myself, boy, when I text when I drive, just think what I'm doing. I am impulsively saying what my friend is saying to me, what my friend just posted, is more important than the safety and welfare of myself, my family, uh, any friends that are, that are riding uh, with me. It's, it's impulsive. It's like I just want what I want right now rather than, you know, what's beneficial for everybody else. Now, the main point of this is not don't text and drive, even though you shouldn't do that, okay? My favorite bumper sticker is honk if you love Jesus, text and drive if you want to meet him. I, I, I love that one. <laughs> honk if you love Jesus, text and drive if you want to meet him, <laughs> sooner rather than later, okay? So the main point is not that. The main, main point is that this is a metaphor, that if we don't learn to deny ourselves, if we don't have God help us to control our impulsiveness so we can obey the will of God, we're going to wreck our lives just like we're going to wreck our car. Remember the famous marshmallow test? Uh, I've talked about this before. Uh, in Stanford, back in the 1970s, they took little kids into a room and they put one marshmallow in front of them and said, if you can wait until I come back, you'll get a second marshmallow. But if you eat it, any of it, before I come back, you won't get the second marshmallow. And they noted how the kids responded. And uh, they tracked these kids for the rest of their lives. And they found out that the kids that were able to wait for the second marshmallow were far more successful in every area of their lives than ones that just had to have it now. And I just read this past week about a similar study done in New Zealand. A sociologist did this massive project uh, studying uh, thousands of kids, uh, over a thousand kids. For four decades, they study them. And they found the one factor that mattered the most in our lives, uh, more than health, more than material wealth, more than even relational harmony, was impulse control. Um, it was more significant in their success than social class, the wealth of their family, even than their IQ. And the Bible tells us this in Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And Samson's walls were broken down, and it, his impulsiveness eventually destroyed him. And so i got to ask myself the question, am I driven by God's will or by my desires? Is the primary criteria for your major decisions, it pleases me or it pleases God? Am I spirit-led or desire-led? Impulsiveness. Number two is compromising. 
uh, Samson was casual about obeying God. And he thought to himself, little compromises, what can it hurt? And he got by with them. You'll get by with little compromises, and you won't see any noticeable difference in your life. And so he did little compromises, and he didn't get hurt by it. But what if the action itself is not the main issue, but the fact that when we make these little compromises, it drives the presence of God away from our lives. It removes the hand of blessing of God uh, from our lives. And, and so the lesson of Samson is don't take the blessing and presence of God for granted. Now, we're all going to sin, and we need to run to God and ask His forgiveness, obviously. But when we're knowingly compromising in areas of our Christian walk, it can't help but remove. God doesn't leave us. We're still on our way to heaven and yet it, it, it lessens his presence, his power, his ability to work through us. I, I read an article the other day in The Atlantic, uh, which is a very secular uh, magazine. And I always just have to laugh, and it's kind of a painful laugh, when researchers today will come up with just amazing insights that the Bible gave us two or 3,000 years ago. And they'll just trumpet it like, this is like, this is like news. I mean, sun rises in east. What, rain is wet. I mean, you know, just these, these headlines. And, and, um, and, and, and so I, I got this article uh, that I read from The Atlantic, and here's, here's the headline of, of, of the article. Fewer sex partners means a happier marriage. <laughs> who knew? Who, who knew? Uh, people who have had sex with fewer people seem to be more satisfied after they tie the knot. If you are on the proverbial market as you rack up phone swipes, first dates, and likely new sexual partners, you might start to ask yourself, is all this dating going to make me happier with whomever I end up with? In other words, are you actually getting any closer to finding, quote, the one? Or are you simply stuck on a hedonistic treadmill of potential lovers, doomed like some sort of sexual Sisyphus, to be perpetually close to finding your soulmate, only to realize far, far too late that they are deal-breakingly disappointing? Well, sociology has some unfortunate news. Over at the Institute for Family Studies, Nicholas Wolfinger, a sociologist at the University of Utah, has found that Americans who have only ever slept with their spouses are most likely to report being in a, quote, very happy marriage. Now, let me say, you say, oh, Pastor Glenn, I, I, I own it in this area. No, no, start from today. This is not condemnation. This is conviction. Just say, okay, okay, that, that's, that's the past. Let's start today. Now, they're scarring from the past, okay? And, and so for those of you that are younger, don't say, well, I'll just pick up a few scars and then repent. <laughs> you know, that... that that, that's not what's going on here. So let me keep it strong for you and say, no, 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 no. They're, they're saying, what they're saying is what they're saying. All right. But I'm just saying for those that have, start, start from today. Uh, other studies' findings have also supporting the surprising durability of marriages between people who have only ever had sex with one another. Um, another thing I would say, just beyond not acting out sexually, uh, but uh, just even keeping ourselves as pure as possible. And, and obviously, we're going to sin. We need to repent. But the purer we are, uh, it's like a hose that gets plugged up. It's like gutters, which I've been putting off. But before the next big rain, i got to get up on the roof and clean out those gutters. Because if they get plugged up with leaves, the water won't flow through and it'll pool up on our roof. 
And, 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 and so uh, the same thing is true in our spiritual walk. The more pure we can be, the fewer compromises we can make, and God forgives the times that we don't, but the fewer ones we have, the more the power of God will flow through us. And a book I'd really recommend to you, it's mentioned there in your program, The Purity Principle by Randy Alcorn. I love this book. It's just, I love it because it's one of those little booklets. You can read it in like an hour and a half, and it's boom, you read a book, now you feel good about yourself, you read a book. Uh, but this book has been so powerful in my life, and I would highly um, rec- rec- recommend it uh, to you. Um, okay, then the next one, unteachable, unteachable. Uh, and that connects with the next one. He's a loner. How do you respond to, to criticism? Are, are we unteachable? Are there areas that are just off limits? Better not bring up that area because we're unteachable. Maybe we're generally teachable, but we're unteachable in one particular area. And then, and then if we're loners, we're off by ourselves. Proverbs 18, verse 1. An isolated man or woman will always begin to serve himself. Left to our own, apart from community... In the body of Christ, you will always start making it about you. There is no such thing as an isolated Christian. People who get serious about Jesus always get serious about the local church. People who get serious about Jesus always get serious about the local church. And then proud, pride, proud. Samson was proud. Uh, He assumed he'd never lose his strength. You never find him giving praise or honor to God. He felt like he was entitled to all of his blessings, to use them for his own purposes? Do you go through life thinking, I'll always have these talents. I'll always have this health. I'll always have this money. And it's all about me for, for my purposes. Or do we say everything I have, you know, my money, my health, my talents, my ability, all of this is to fulfill God's purposes in my life and in the world. And then number two, the world needed someone greater than Samson. I mean, he has this great beginning. And whenever a book or a story has a great beginning, you anticipate the ending. And then the ending ending is so wah-wah. I mean, it is just lame. And you imagine an Israelite reading this saying, there's got to be more to the story than this. Well, 1,100 years later, Jesus of Nazareth shows up. He's born miraculously like Samson. He has incredible strength over demons, disease, and death. Uh, I wrote down some other ones here. Like Samson, he's betrayed by someone who acted like his friend, like Delilah did to Samson, Judas Iscariot did to Jesus, and both of them were handed over to the Gentiles. Like Samson, he's chained and tortured and put on public display to be mocked. Like Samson, he dies with his arms outstretched, but for Samson, his arms are stretched out in vengeance, crying out, God, give me revenge for my two eyes. And Jesus' hands are outstretched in mercy, love, forgiveness, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And through that death uh, with Samson, when it looked like he was defeated, he was actually defeating the enemy. And the same thing with Jesus. When it looked like he had been defeated by death, he defeated the enemy. But unlike Samson, Jesus was not put in chains for his own sin. He was put in chain for our sin. Samson was a strong man made weak through his own sin. Jesus was the mighty God who voluntarily became weak to save us from the chains of our sin. And in the end, Samson died. But in the end, Jesus lives. And he's alive today. Number three. (laughs) 
I should just drop the jawbone and walk off right now, but let's have the praise band come up as I do the third point. It's never too late to cry out to God. Oh, this is good news. It's never too late to cry out to God. And maybe today you want to commit your life to Jesus. Maybe today you want to get something right with God. Maybe today you just need an encouraging prayer for something hard in your life. And we've got the prayer room after we're closing worship. It's going to be available right over here on my left, on your right, on the main floor. And if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day for that. Uh, if you want to get something right, today's the day for that. If you want to if you want to just have prayer, you're discouraged in some area, I encourage you to take advantage of it. It's never too late to cry out to God. When Samson cries out to God, it's about as low as you can get. He's in Dagon's temple, which is basically being in Satan's temple, uh, where he's blinded and he's bound because of his sin. But remember that little verse, the hair on his head began to grow again. And Sam God's mercies, like Samson's hair, grow new every morning. God's mercy, like Samson's hair, grow new every morning. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Would you say with me that last phrase out loud together? Great is your faithfulness. And all God's family said. Let's stand up. Let's worship a little bit more.